This afternoon, I'm speaking with Radia Chaudhry, who is one of the editors on the book Admissions, which is a new anthology documenting lived and living experience of mental health issues in Australia. Thanks for joining me, Radia. Thanks for having me. Now, Radia, just a little bit about your background. Uh, are you Australian-born or do you come from overseas? Cultural uh, connections? I, I was born... Uh, I am a ch- child of migrants. I was actually born in Singapore, but I've uh, lived here since I was two years old. I grew up in country New South Wales and then Western Sydney, southwestern Sydney, I should say, since I was eight years old. Was that a culture shock for your parents to come from Singapore to country New South Wales? Uh, not country New South Wales because they they moved they moved to Armadale because my my father is an academic. So he was teaching at the university there, and Armadale is a is a university town, and there's there's a, a very large international student population there. So it's actually quite a culturally diverse town, and also just in terms of the 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 most wonderful things about living in a small town in terms of the the amount of support that's available within the community for each other. I think it was actually probably a lot easier for them to move to. Um, Armadale than it potentially would have been if they had moved straight to Sydney in their first encounter with Australia. Right. Thanks for sharing about that because I don't know very much about Armadale and I'm I'm sure it's of interest to people who are uh, listening from wherever they come from to know a little bit more about parts of Australia because we do have some listeners from overseas. So that is really great and a small country down being supportive. Are you talking about in terms of... Uh, mental health and well-being or just the community being welcoming? Uh, I mean, just the community being welcoming. We're talking about the 1980s here, so it's not like um, mental health was really on everybody's lips back at the t- at that time. But, for example, the fact that my mother, who, you know, had sort of been an academic's wife and moved around the world a fair bit, joined the Country Women's Association and the, the level of uh, community support that that gives you to be amongst people whose entire purpose in terms of the community organisation that they belong to is to connect and to support one another. Tell me a little bit more about you. How have you, what what kind of work do you do? And then how did you become involved with this soon to be launched anthology? Uh, Actually, uh, the answer is kind of the same for both of those questions. I have worked... Uh, in the publishing industry as an editor for over a decade Uh, and I had been at the time that this anthology was um, sort of coming into fruition I had been a a commissioning editor at Penguin Random House and uh, in the course of my commissioning work I had encountered Muhammad Awan who is one of the other editors on this anthology and we had been working on a separate project and sort of as we'd gotten to know each other, he had mentioned this anthology and I had been quite interested in seeing if it was a book that Penguin Random House would be interested in taking on. So I actually first engaged with this book as somebody who was trying to commission it for the Penguin Random House list. And unfortunately that didn't go through. Penguin uh, declined to sign the book, but I had spoken to Muhammad at that point. I'd spoken to David as well. And we just, we'd all just really connected really, really well, just as people. We got, we understood the language that each other was speaking. 
So then when time came later in the year, I think it was probably about two or three months later, where they needed another editor on board, uh, someone particularly with uh, non-fiction prose experience, because both Muhammad and David are obviously, but they were keen to get someone whose specialty was maybe something outside of poetry. And, and because we'd had that connection in that conversation, you know, months before, they approached me to consider whether I would come on board the project, even though I hadn't been able to sign it as a, as the publisher of the book, um, whether I would be willing to join it as the edit, as one of the editors of the book. And of course, didn't take me very long to say yes. It it's it's such an important collection, and the the people who have been included in it and also the people who we sadly couldn't include just for the sheer you know tyranny of page length they were all just such accomplished uh, writers and poets and telling such amazing generous stories in such varied ways so when I joined the project we commissioned a few more pieces that were sort of more along the lines of um, my specialty uh, and then yeah that was sort of where it started in terms of my contribution to the anthology so I, I do need to make it clear that it was, it was not my originating idea and the bulk of the work that went into creating this beautiful piece of work did come from you know David and and Muhammad well before I joined the project. So what was the inspiration for them to start pulling together all of these various different writers with lived and living experience? Uh, I mean, I, I, I would hesitate to speak for them. It would certainly be a question to ask them. I know just sort of in our own conversations, all three of us coming with lived experience of mental health and also Muhammad is just an exhaustively accomplished young man. He actually works in psychiatric health as well as being a writer and a poet. So it's. I think it was uh, a sort of, uh, coming together of a lot of different factors where, you know, we had our own personal interest in mental health because of our own lived experience and the experience of the people around us. And then there was Muhammad's sort of professional experience working in psychiatric care. And also David is uh, for a long, he has for a long time been associated with uh, the organisation Red Room Poetry, who are uh, just an incredible source of, of poetic work and education in the Australian landscape. And they have a, uh, they, they ran a program called Mad Poetry, which is sort of built along similar lines as this particular anthology. So I think it's, it was a, a it was a bunch of different things that had sort of happened around the same time that I think brought them together to create this particular anthology but it's definitely it's definitely a question I would cede to them in terms of how else it came about because there were there were a few other people involved in the inception of the work as well who are no longer attached to it for you know their own personal reasons. Yeah I mean I uh, in the past I've run events and and activities here in the ACT and one of the things that I've been involved is equally collating and editing small anthologies of poetry by people with lived experience and it's such a uh, I think it's a breath of fresh air for people to be able to share uh, their personal story or experience as a carer or a consumer in a way that allows them to uh, emote 
about it, but also convey that story in a way that makes it um, in a vehicle that is is more easily digestible than some of us just talking about mental health. Actually, there was an interesting post I read today from Liam Beagley, who's the CEO of Mental Health Australia, and she was having a discussion with a, a taxi driver who said he was sick of hearing about mental health. But this, if it's in poetry or if it's in film or in story form, it's more engaging for an audience, I believe. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think I, I definitely agree with that. I think it's also... Um, there, there are essays in this book of just, you know, prose pieces that were written, but every single one of the these, they're narrativized in some way. And it's sort of the way we experience our lives as humans as well is to, we are the main characters of our own stories, obviously. So the way in which these pieces are all written, whether they be poetry or prose, it is all very authentic. It's very real to the writer of each piece but also the the form in which that writing sort of takes place whether it's free verse or whether it is you know a comic non-fiction piece for example that format in and of itself is also very real to the writer and means something and indicates something about the writer as well so we were quite conscious in all of our conversations to not impose our own understandings and frameworks on how the writers were, were in, engaging with the, with the material in the same way that mental health being something that's so amorphous, it's such a moving target and it's so dependent on experience, on personal experience and context. It is a mistake, I think, for anyone to think that they know what the definitive experience of any particular mental health issue might be. And certainly when it comes to the representation of mental health in, you know, popular culture, that is, I found to be the predominant problem. You know, there is a certain way that, for example, depression is represented or obsessive compulsive disorder is represented. And so people who may not have anyone in their lives who they know experiences this these different disorders they assume that that is what the truth of that particular disorder might be when in fact the truth is a lot more complex it's a lot more varied and it's also so dependent on context as well so I think that was something that we were very conscious of in the compilation of this anthology that we wanted to give everybody the space to represent their health in the way that was the most true to them from themselves as a person because, and I hear what you're saying, we've got such a medicalized mental health system, yeah. very crisis-driven, and you get a label, your diagnosis, and then there's this sort of expectation that you slot into a box and then, then you get treatment that's sort of cookie-cutter and mm. the way that uh, the system is functioning at the moment doesn't really take into account the personal day-to-day -day or lived experience of each individual person. And this is, sounds as if it's a fantastic way for people to portray uh, or ex explain themselves in in sort of in art for in an art form as if they're drawing a picture of themselves but through words so yeah very much so it's being launched as part of mental health month as part of the big 
uh, Anxiety Festival, which seems to also be exploring other ways that that people with a lived experience can show who they are, exploring mental health in a different way. Can you tell me just a little bit about the Big Anxiety Festival? So this is actually one of those really unfortunate situations where you had the pick of three um, of the editors and (laughs) two of them couldn't join you, in fact, because they are at the Big Anxiety Festival (laughs) launching this book. Uh, And I am the the one lonely member of the triumvirate who wasn't able to make it down to Melbourne. So... (laughs) I actually don't know the answer to that question. I, I, I'm getting a wonderful flood of photographs from Muhammad and David of the amazing <laughs> fun they're having without me. Um, but yeah, I'm, unfortunately, I, I have absolutely no context for, for that question because I couldn't be there. Yeah, I've I've had a look at the website and everything, and uh, it does look as if you know we're using all sorts of different uh, creative genres to mm. to look at take a new uh, look at how mental health is impacting people or how they're experiencing or their experience of it in the context of the current system. So it's it's fabulous actually. I'm it's previously run in I think in Sydney but now this year it's in Melbourne and I understand mm-hmm. there's also some events happening in Queensland. Yes, yeah, so we, uh, we we have our Sydney launch next Thursday in this in at Books Kinakunia in Sydney city. Uh, and then yes, it's uh, the launch is moving to Brisbane, where there are a number actually there are a number a couple of events that have been organised there with other artists, and <laughs> that's kind of the best part of the way this anthology has come together is because it, it there is quite a wonderful spread of representation. It sort of the way that these things happen, it is quite east coast heavy in terms of the representation of the writers. But in at least moving the launch up and down the coast, it means that different contributors from the anthology can take part in events because this is very much a group effort. So, you know, the people who are able to attend Melbourne and to be part of the launch in Melbourne are going to be different from the ones who come to Sydney. And then the two events in Brisbane will be different again. So every every person who can make it to these events and who contributed to the anthology can be seen at these events. And it's also really great because the anthology itself has this amazing breadth of experience within, as writers, I should say, rather than just the mental health side of things. So you have really well-established poets. You've got poets who are sort of mid-career and writers who are mid-career. And then you have people who are just starting out. And so that's another reason that the way we've been able to move that launch around has been really wonderful because it means that a lot of people who, for them, it might be their very first book launch. It might be their very first published project can be a very active part of the the launch um, part of the project. And it includes work from a number of people who we do know, like Grace Tame, mm-hmm. Christine Anu, and uh, Kristen Dumphy. I'm not familiar with the rest, but I can I certainly recognise those people. Is there anybody else who are well-known writers who've contributed? Uh, certainly. There, uh, there's quite a few comedians in there. So that's what I reckon is part of the collection. Jennifer Wong, uh, Felicity Ward. So, you know, in the in the way that mental health issues and and talking about mental health often dovetails with comedy, this kind of it, it kind of 
brings the truth of that into into an actual anthology. There's also quite a few writers of nonfiction that people might recognise, depending on sort of what publications they read. So Elizabeth Tan, who's an amazing critic, Anna Spargo Ryan, they're part of the book as well. And then there's also just a lot of creative writing practitioners, so people who not just write but also potentially mentor other writers yeah, it's very much a sort of collegial experience working with them. So, you know, people like Ellen Van Nirvan and Lindsay Tuggle, who have sort of a long history of working with other poets, a lot of them are actually attached to Red Room, as I, which, as I said, is an educational organisation as much as, as, as it is a creative arts organisation. So, you know, we've got quite a bit of breadth on that front as well. Yeah, no, it sounds fantastic. And uh, obviously the book did eventually get some support to get uh, printed and so forth. How did that come about? Uh, So that was the extremely hard work of uh, David's agent, because Mohammed and and myself are both unagented. Uh, So David's agent, uh, the wonderful Alex Adset, was the person who sort of found the right home for the book. It would have been so great if uh, a major publishing house like Penguin Random House had signed on the book or, or any of the other major public or the major commercial publishers but it, there, there's a bit of not fear but a little bit of hesitation I think from major publishers to to publish Australian poetry because it's sort of they don't quite know where the audiences are and where the sales are and that's obviously a massive com- commercial imperative for the big houses. So we ended up getting signed with Upswell Press, which is uh, run by Terry Ann White. And yeah, it's in the way that a lot of us, a lot of Australian poetry sort of needs the the care given from smaller publishers such as Upswell, UQP, Jeromondo. Uh, it was it was it was definitely the right place in terms of people who have experience with this with this sort of book. Mm. And the cover art's beautiful too. Do you, yeah, yeah. Who did that? That's Amani Hayder, who's also one of the contributors to the book. She's just, aside from being just an incredible writer, she is also an extremely accomplished artist. Uh, and so, yeah, we when we were having a conversation as the editors around, you know, what the cover should look like, we didn't want it to be something that was quite expected. We didn't want it to necessarily be uh, artists who are very well known, we, you know, in the same way that we wanted this book to be very representative, and sort of broad strokes kind of way of what the Australian writing landscape currently looks like. Amani was just the perfect pick for the cover as well. And then Muhammad was really keen also to, to give the book some colour. And when Amani delivered the, the final piece, which is what is on the cover, you know, she's already picked out such beautiful pastels in her artwork. And so, yeah, we, we didn't, we didn't want it to look aged, I guess. Like we didn't want it to look like it had been on, on a shelf for a long time. We wanted it to look new. We wanted it to look fresh, which is why it was very simple to pick out some of the those pastels from um, Amani's beautiful artwork to create the rest of the cover. Mm. And who came up with the title? Oh, that's a good question. We threw around so many. Um, <laughs> there was a sort of a, a sort of chaotic email chain between David and Muhammad and myself of just throwing around, what about this? What about that? At one point, we were calling it Loose Cannons. I, I want to say, and David, please forgive me if this is not true, but I want to say it was Muhammad's idea to come up with admissions. 
because we, we really loved, I mean, all, all of the title concepts that we were throwing around had that dual purpose, you know, the, the double entendre to them. And yeah, admissions kind of seemed perfect. And we, we loved the brevity of it as well. It's it's such a clean cut um, title. It kind of says what it is and it means what it says. And when you so, talk yeah. about the double entendre of, of the word admissions, we're talking about? So we're talking about, you know, the confessions that are within the book itself, but also the, you know, admission to hospital, to admission to institution as well. And we thought it was important, especially because there was a sort of lived, there was such a strong lived experience part of this book. And a lot of that does, in, that does include institutionalization and sort of discussing the medical side of mental health. It felt important to represent that in the title as well. And it's something that it's really hard if you've, you've been in hospital. It's really hard when you get well to tell people about sometimes. Yes. Absolutely. Some people are quite ashamed of the fact that they've had to go into hospital because they've become so unwell that they need that kind of support. And yet it's actually one of the strongest things that you can do if you're not well is to actually reach out and get help. It's Yeah. And it's, you know, it's one of those, uh, I, again, I think there's a sort of pop cultural aspect to how people perceive institutionalization because no one would feel ashamed to say I broke my leg so I had to go into hospital or I needed to get my kidney removed so I went into there's no shame associated with physical ailment Mm. um, and institutionalization but for some reason you add mental health to that and it's almost like you gave up you were weak you were so out of control you needed other people to control you and to a great extent that's also that's because people misunderstand what it means to seek out mental health assistance. You know, like initiatives like Are You Okay Day, for example, they, they, you know, they do, they do serve a certain function, but, you know, the next step in an Are You Okay Day thing, for example, would be what do you say if you do ask someone if they're okay and they say that they're not? You know, what is the next step in asking for help or to help someone around you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because the lived experience in this anthology isn't just people who live with mental health, it's people who are carers of people with mental health as well, for example. So, you know, lived experience covers quite a um, a broad area as well. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really important what you've just said, actually, that the question sometimes of are you okay, it's got cultural connotations. There, are, There's now some information out about how you ask uh, are you okay in... in in Aboriginal languages, yeah, uh, how you ask your mob, how you support your mob, but also for people from uh, who've come from overseas who speak how many other languages there are, 300 or more languages, and how you do that safely, but where you can go for support because our system isn't really set up in a way that uh, makes it like you're going into the loving, caring arms and nurturing arms of someone. It, sometimes these institutions look pretty unwelcoming, I think is a word I would yeah, use. Yeah, well, they are, they are a product of, you know, the Western medical health system. They are a product of colonisation. The ways in which we treat mental health 
are very limited in those particular institutions. Not that they are bad places and not that they're places that people should avoid if they, in fact, do need help. But mm. that help can can take other forms than, you know, the, the pharmacological or the institutional model that people associate with seeking out mental health. So, mm. as you say, like Indigenous um, communities, First Nations communities have their own very deep-seated, very well-established cultural practices that need to be taken into account and that have something very valuable to offer in terms of how care is given within community. And the same goes for all the different migrant communities that are in this country. There is a level of cultural literacy that is necessary in order to understand how treatment, what treatment could look like for a person. And also understanding context, a migrant a migrant person who has come out here as a professional and they're experiencing mental health issues uh, is going to have a very different experience, for example, to a refugee individual. So, yeah, understanding that there is, it is no one size fits all and also that we have just sort of as a society, we, we significantly limit ourselves if we only think about the sort of standard institutional way in which we're told that we have to deal with things Hmm. Um, and you know I think there's a reason why there is this real flowering of uh, mental health support services that are growing within migrant communities for example because there is an awareness a growing awareness particularly within second and third generation migrants that uh, we can't rely necessarily on classically trained, Western trained doctors to be able to help in the ways that we might need help. Mm, mm. In the cultural context, and I'm talking about more language and understanding uh, mm. the background of people and you know how their system of uh, society works is so significantly important yeah. that uh, it, it can be it can be the key thing that helps you step towards healing. Uh, within within a system, but but also which allows you to connect more better with people from your own background. I know what I'm trying to say, but I'm just not saying it terribly <laughs> well. Anyway, I think you probably get the gist of what I'm saying. I, I myself, I see somebody uh, who's from my own cultural background and, and uh, it's just been, we have great conversations because we can I can actually make jokes about my cultural background and the person mm-hmm. I'm seeing actually understands that very deeply understands the background and what I grew up with and and my religious background as well. You know, so I found that very supportive and I'm actually walking towards healing. I don't know that healing yeah. is something that's happening at the moment, but I'm certainly on a, a path towards recovery and, and uh, greater self-awareness and self-care because of that, I think it's so Im- Im- very important. I used to work in multicultural mental health and we really do need to break down those barriers between what the system is offering and what people actually need. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's something with this particular anthology that we were quite aware of is the ways that language can, it can limit us, but also the, way that langu- the ways that language can free us, whether that's our home languages or whether that's... English and again to sort of return to a bit of that sort of the the pop culture trend around talking around mental illness of yeah because things get sort of very medicalized and become very I guess uh, vox pop kind of friendly you know people will say things like oh I'm a bit OCD about something 
or oh yeah I was so depressed about that and uh the the ways that that actually harms people who that yeah the ways that that harms people who are actually living with with those with with those or other mental disorders where yeah you're you're being particular about something is nowhere near the reality of what it is like to live with mm. obsessive compulsive disorder, for example. I, I really get that because uh, one of the characters or one of the people on the block at the moment had said, um, oh, if I keep up this, I might end up with PTSD. Well, I live with PTSD and I found that offensive that that person said that because they have no idea what it is to live with PTSD. Yeah. Well, it's, PTSD. It's, also so, it's so unthinking. Oh, it, um, it, it just is ignorant it's ignorant uh, and it just demonstrates how, how little people actually really know about what it is living with something like that. And, and you know, my, what my symptoms are aren't necessarily what other people who've got PTSD have. There's a, a broad diversity and range, some, some things like anxiety and depression, those sorts of things, but how I experience that to, compared to somebody else and the degree and the triggers can be completely different. And to just sort of make that kind of comment as if it's a joke it demonstrates a great lack of sensitivity and awareness and something that really needs to improve I think in our society yeah I think um in all fairness I think a lot of the time it's I've heard people say that it is uh, on balance a good thing that people talk that people use that sort of language because it's sort of destigmatizing mental illness to be able to talk about it openly especially I think younger generations talk quite openly on social media and things like that without apparently fear of repercussion in terms of you know even even your employability for example Mm -hmm. to go onto social media and have something permanently on your Instagram account or your TikTok account about you know feeling anxiety and crying in the bathtub or whatever you know like it is it is humorized but at the same time the openness is something to be welcomed I think it's just a matter of balancing that openness with how casual those references are Mm. Um, I would prefer I would definitely prefer people being able to use the vocab in their day-to-day without fearing repercussion to people sort of repressing everything and not speaking about it at all but yeah, to understand that there is a real human cost here, it isn't just about the memes and the social media and, you know, the being able to very handily label, you know, when in a in a time at the moment where labels are sort of a very highly prized currency, there's not as much awareness that sort of goes with it that sometimes those labels can be extraordinarily harmful mm. to other people. Mm. So what is quirky and fun to you might be something that's quite traumatic and upsetting to another like as you say you found that particularly offensive and that's you know rightly or wrongly that's how you felt that's the truth of how you felt so I just thought true. I thought she was minimalizing the yeah yeah and uh, minimalizing like what it is that she that's does what you felt that's what you how you interpreted it but yeah. you know she should everyone should feel like they have an awareness of the fact that not everybody's living the same reality yeah, well, I, I just think she was sort of saying, oh, I get so stressed that I might end up with that. But, mm. you know, going through these sorts of levels of trauma, it takes, just because you go through a trauma doesn't mean you end up with PTSD. 
and likewise with OCD, just because you like to have things in certain order or, or whatever doesn't mean that you've got OCD. It's about the ignorance, you know, that, uh, and I think you meant it, the, the mental health literacy that's important and I think that it does need to be increased in our community. I'm not saying let's not have people mentioning these things but it's just knowing the facts about them, having some real awareness of what it actually is. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, your book, the book is being launched today but uh, and it's being launched next week. What's the time and day for next week's launch in Sydney? Uh, Sydney, it's Thursday the 13th of October at Books Kinnikunia, which is in the Galleries Victoria. Uh, and it starts at 6pm and runs through to 7.30. Right. Uh, and if people want to buy the book, I can see it right here on the computer screen for me. <laughs> Do you want to tell people where they can get a copy of this book? Uh, so they can they can actually order it from any, any bookseller, whether it's online or in person. It's widely available across Australia. So even if they don't have it stocked, you can request it and they can order it in for you. Yeah, Just so go to your local. Ups, upswellpublishing.com. Yes, that's, that's the publisher's home, yeah, homepage, so you can get it from there as well. But, yeah, if you have a local indie, for example, that you support, they should be able to get it for you. Yeah. Look, I think we could keep talking, but I know that your time <laughs> is limited. And I have really appreciated having a chat with you. Uh, I Likewise. Think we got into some very interesting stuff there at the end, and there's so much work still to be done to bring more humane awareness and practice into supporting people who are living with mental illness don't you think yes absolutely and i hope that this anthology is some small way to help people who who maybe don't have that experience to understand a little more and also for people who do have that experience to feel a bit seen to understand that they're not alone in in their experiences Mm -hmm. and that there is space for people to use art and craft and writing to not exercise the ghosts but to at least find some sort of relief some sort of remedy Mm. thank you very much for your time radia i really appreciated it yeah no thanks heaps really appreciate it and i hope the launch in sydney goes really well next week thank you thanks so much